Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Alrighty. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Malcolm, as Nikayla said. I'm actually a student of Nikayla's uh, at Ambrose University. And you'll have to bear with me. I, I realized today that this is the first time I've ever used a microphone. So, um, yeah. There we go. So, yeah, in preparing for this sermon, um, I was trying to think of good Bible stories about water. And I was overwhelmed with options, to say the least. Uh, water is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. So much of the Bible takes place in partnership with the water. But to start, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my own relationship with it. Growing up, I got to experience the, uh, the quote-unquote Canadian dream. We had a family cottage on an island in Ontario with an aluminum boat with a little mercury outboard, fishing off the docks and watching the grown-ups water ski on the lake. When I was little and lived in Ottawa, we would spend winter days skating down the canal while Dad worked in his office building downtown. We moved to Alberta, and I got to experience my first and what I ignorantly thought would be my last uh, glacial swim. I swam in the rivers, fished in the rivers, and crossed the rivers of Alberta. But it wasn't until I moved to Churchill, Manitoba, for my first job out of high school, that the importance of the water finally took hold. I've put a photo up of the water um, that I took on a boat I worked on up there. Uh, this is in the Hudson's Bay. We were surrounded by a superpod, which is a few hundred belugas. And into the distance, you can faintly see the then-defunct port of Churchill. It has since reopened, and now the belugas don't visit that part of the bay. The river is the lifeblood of the community up there. The, the water runs from the, the estuary, which is the ending of the Churchill River, into the bay. And uh, yeah, it's the lifeblood of the community, of the culture, and of my time there too. You see, the waters of Alberta flow through both Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and eventually out into the bay. So the water that I swam in, the water that I fished in, and the water that I crossed followed me to Churchill. My first day there, I was pranked with a bit of an Arctic plunge and came face to face with the beings of the river. I had a beluga stare me down, come, come face to face with me, um, chirping and whistling as I tried to avoid becoming a Malcolmsicle. My swims in the water became like a new form of baptism to me. While not official nor overseen by a church, the current of the water began to run through me too the term living water we see in the Bible finally started to make sense to me. And while this living water wasn't in the river, in my case, it certainly came from it. My time in Churchill was formative for me. Living in the North changes you, as some of you may know. It's not something easily described, but it is a definite thing that changes you. It is a place of becoming. I actively pursued answers to my theological questions from the limited supply of churches and quickly found myself glorifying God with nature and not just in it. I know that, so far at least, this isn't too biblical, but I feel that it is important if I am to speak to you about something uh, like creation and God and our relationship with both, we can't begin with you knowing nothing about me. With that said, if we look throughout scripture, we see water as a significant character in the Bible, and when discussing it, we should start where it starts. I also tried to find some beautiful art to put up for y'all to look at as I speak, so we'll start with the first painting of God and creation. Genesis 1-2 tells us the earth was formless and void, with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Right away, we see a very important point. 
In the family of creation, the waters are the eldest. More than that, the earth is described as tohu wabohu, formless and void. This can be translated to this. The earth was chaotic and darkness was over the face of the deep. There may, there may be some among you who have sailed upon the open sea or gone on cruises um, who know that the vastness of an empty ocean is unlike any other. The vastness and chaos of this world are like that multiplied exponentially. Why is it then that something that is so vital, so necessary for life is described as chaotic? More than that, what is chaos in a perfect world? A world that is as of yet without sin. We all know that we need water to survive, but the existence of only water is deemed a chaotic one by the authors of Genesis. This is, thus far, as we've said, a world without sin, and a world without anything actually except water in the sky. And that is where we find our answer to our chaos question. See, we are not called to live on the earth, but with the earth, using our assignment of authority as the acceptance of responsibility and not an opportunity for a parasitic harvest. The same holds true for water. Water is, at this point, a part of nothingness not because it itself is nothing, but because it is purposeless. Water is the source of life. This is an undeniable truth. We need it to live and to grow. This is true for the rest of the world too, not just us. But if the earth is only water, it has nothing to nurture, nothing to feed, and nothing to help produce growth. With no life surrounding it, water is the source of nothing. This is why it isn't until the third day, after God instills water with purpose, to fulfill the role of the sea, and be separate from the dry land, as we see in Genesis 1, verses 9 to 10, that God calls the water good. With the fulfillment of God's assigned purpose comes goodness. This then begs the question, what is the purpose of water in the Bible? What role has God given our cousin in creation to play? The way I see it, water has several biblical roles. I don't know if people take church notes in church anymore, um, but if they do, this is a good spot to start. Firstly, we will focus on the first purpose it is given in the beginning. In the creation, God gives water the job of gathering together into seas to allow room for dry land to appear. The first job of water was literally to make space, to make space for something new, to make space for growth. All sorts of great things happen because water fulfills this role. Out of the water, things are made new, and through the water, new things are nurtured. For its next purpose, we are going to dive into the scriptures a little bit and focus primarily on its demonstration and its use for demonstrations for the sake of making God's power known. God's power is not reliant upon water. It's not reliant upon anything, but it does often utilize water when it's there. For instance, in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 that Michaela mentioned last week, we see Elijah douse his offering with water to make it extra difficult to ignite by our own standards. I've added another piece of art meant to depict Elijah in this story. As Nikayla said last week, in a time of drought, this would have been a huge sacrifice to place this much water on the altar. Not only does this make the sacrifice less flammable, it just makes it a bigger sacrifice. There is a cow and the precious water on the line here. God lighting Elijah's offering while it was dry would have been enough to prove his reign, but he, the addition of water adds emphasis that increases both the perceived power of God and the faith in the sacrifice that we are called to share in. Secondly, water is a tool used by God to demonstrate his sovereignty and power. Oftentimes, the purpose can be narrowed down more specifically than that. But in almost any biblical story, the use of water directs the focus back to God. So what do I mean by that? I'm trying to get at this. Take, for example, the Israelites wandering around the desert, slowly losing their strength to dehydration. The gift of water alone is a miracle and could come from a divinely placed oasis in the desert. There are many such places known in the area. 
Instead of this, however, God, through the obedience of Moses, brings forth water from the rocks as depicted in this next painting. This provides sustenance. It provides evidence of not only a caring God, but of an intervening God. And it provides these things in a way that only amplifies his own power, strength, and a myriad of other divine attributes. The third purpose of water is a big one. Several times in his epistles, Paul speaks of water in light of its purifying abilities. In Hebrews 10.22, we see Paul speak of water and its capabilities to clean us and purify us from the evil things in this world. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full conscience and assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In this address, Paul is speaking of the sacrifices of Christ, which grants us access to eternity with him as purifying water. So if any of you guys know me, you might know I have a dog. I love my dog. Her name's Rosie. Um, and she loves to run around on my parents' farmyard. She gets absolutely filthy. And so before she's allowed back in the house, she needs to be sprayed down with the hose, rinsing away all the mud and farm gunk and cleaning her. The blood of Christ is, for all intents and purposes, a holy hose down. And this is what Paul is speaking of, finding confidence in the power and cleanliness given to us, just as a dog may find cleanliness from a bath of pure water. The purifying use of water isn't all happy, though. And, that, and with that, we arrive at the flood narrative. I'm sure we are all familiar with the story of Noah building an ark as the earth is flooded and purified from what it had become. If Paul's allusions to water is like a garden hose, then the flood is quite literally a raging tsunami. This is a decreation event and it gains even more significance because it is derived of water, making that which we cannot live without that which could not be lived with. And obviously, when we're talking about water, especially in the biblical sense, we cannot forget about baptism. I wondered for a long time while preparing this talk why baptism took place in water. There are a few ideas I had that I think support the practice in water. Firstly, in water, things are made new. We talked about this a little bit earlier and how life requires water to survive and new life needs water to grow. In his song, Baptism, Randy, Randy Travis sings, Down with the old man, up with the new. We seek rebirth when we enter the water and gain it as we exit. A new life without, with growth and nurturing from the source of living water. The other thought I had came from the definition of baptism. In the Greek, it means to dip, immerse, to cleanse or purify by washing. When we are baptized, we are symbolizing the act of being washed clean. It is not only rebirth, but a purified rebirth, a rebirth that cleanses and allows us to become something that was unattainable before. Water is a huge character in the Bible and is a cousin to us in creation. It is the punctuation for the biblical acts of God and a constant throughout our history all the way back to the beginning. So as we close and before I pray, I want to challenge you. I'm going to give you some homework. After church, we're going to go down to the river and I want you to do this. Find a second, step away from people, take off your shoes and socks and dip your feet in the water. Feel the cold in your toes and allow your mind to flow with the current. Think about who this water will see and who put it on its course. From its beginnings in the glaciers to its end in the pack ice of the Hudson's Bay, as we see here, allow yourself to be a part of its community and journey. The water is called good. Let's pray. God, as we enter our time here today and end our time here today, help us to be observant. Teach us to be aware of not only who you've created, but what you've created. Guide us as we seek sustenance, purification, and rebirth in your holy waters. Lead us with your current God and help us to discern your purpose for us. Fill us with living water and work through us to facilitate in others what you facilitate in us. 
In your mighty name, amen.